Done. 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 Okay, there we go. I I caught myself. I caught myself. <laughs> I caught myself. Uh, okay, let's turn this one off. Let's put that one on. Okay, so you guys can hear me because I can see myself. All right, wow. Boy, I'm glad that I caught it early and it didn't go five minutes. My name is Jaron Jackson. I do love America. For me, it's always about the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Believe the gospel. Amen. I'm really glad I didn't go five minutes, 18 minutes like I have last time. <laughs> I want to talk about the Candace Owens Ben Shapiro spat on the conservative Twitter sphere because I believe that it is a great opportunity not only to bring things back to Jesus, but expose all of these latent, hidden, previously unknown, bare, raw emotions. Like this is the Israeli-Gaza-Palestinian issue is striking such a nerve in America. And I'm delighting in it. I'm glorifying in it because whereas most people are ensconcing themselves in their camps, I believe that this is the type of operation and the type of situation where God's word just cuts straight through it. So I'm looking forward to it. So let's start. Let's go back to the Bible. Proverbs 16, 16 through 20. Proverbs 16, 16 through 20. How much better, come on camera. How much better, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. I'm not going to handle a matter as though it's Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro. I'm going to handle a matter, Lord willing, by God's grace, in a humble spirit, and we will first bring things back to God because the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. So let's do that today. I want to lay out a case that will um, just be very bold and brazen. The very first thing that I want to point out is I want to point to what the Bible says in Revelation 19.10. And here we're just going to let the Bible talk. This is KJV. And I fell at his feet. This is John falling at the feet of an angel. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren thou that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. And watch this. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The prophecies that you're going to get, the prophecies in the Bible is what? The testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That means whenever we're looking at prophecy, we're looking at what it says about Jesus. We're looking about how prophecy looks and says stuff about Christ. That's the Bible explaining the purpose of prophecy is to testify of Jesus. Jesus says this also in John chapter 5 verse 39. What I'm doing is I'm laying out a case that says that the Bible points to Jesus. If you don't look at the Bible as how it points to Jesus, then you lose it. This will tie into the uh, this will tie into Israel. This will tie into Elon Musk. This will tie into Ben Shapiro. This will tie into Candace Owens, um, Tucker Carlson. All of the biggest names are dancing around the idea that Christ is king. They're all dancing around the idea of Christ as king. Uh, Candace said it, but Elon dances around it. The ADL dances around it. Ben Shapiro dances around it. All of these people who dance around it. And I believe that Christians should punch this idea in the face, boldly claim Christ as king, and not shy away from it. John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, not that, that's my screen. Uh, there we go. John chapter 5, there we go. There we go. Take that off. John chapter 5, verse 39, right here. Search the scriptures, for in them they think ye have eternal life. Uh, in them ye think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. What's the thing that testifies of me? The scriptures. The scriptures testify of Jesus. If you are in Christ, the Bible testifies of Jesus. So we have to read the Bible as though it testifies of Jesus. Let's let the Bible talk. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew. This is the Bible talking. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. You are not a Jew by flesh. This is the Bible saying you are not a Jew by flesh. But, which is opposite, but he is a Jew. Okay, so the Bible is about to tell you what a Jew is. When the Bible says you are a Jew, this is the definition the Bible uses as a Jew. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. God says Jews are those who are uh, circumcised, circumcised in the heart. Circumcised in the heart. 
Romans chapter 9, 6 and 8. Romans chapter 9, 6 through 8. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Not everyone who says they're Israel is Israel. The Bible's literally telling you, not everyone who says themselves and calls themselves Israel is Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. This means that just because you're blood descendant from Abraham, just because you call yourself a Jew, just because you have the ethnicity of a Jew, does not mean you are God's children. It does not mean that you are Israel. It does not mean that you are what the Bible says you think it says about you. The Bible is not about Israel. The Bible is not about Jews. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about our salvation. The Bible is how we conform to his image and not us to become Hebrew, not for us to become Jews. The world is not here to become Israel. It's not here to become uh, the, the modern understanding of these things. And we know this because Galatians 4, 21 through 31, it reads, Tell me, yea, that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham has two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. So two sons, one from a slave, one from a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Get this. So the one who was born by the free woman is the seed of promise. The one that was born by the slave is born by the flesh, right? Which these are an allegory. This is the Bible. This is Paul. This is the chosen apostle of Jesus to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, literally telling you, literally telling you that the children of Abraham are of two. One is from the flesh and one is of the spirit. Here he goes, verse 24, which things are an allegory for these things are the two covenants. The Bible's literally telling you the two children of Abraham are an allegory of the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai where Moses brought the two tablets, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. That means the Mount Sinai covenant that comes through Moses that most people look at as Judaism. That is the one that goes to bondage, bondage. Slavery. For this is Agar of Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which is now in his bondage with her children. But, opposite, contrast, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, thou bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. See, God gave Sarah a child when she was old, and she didn't believe it was going to happen, but that was the seed of promise. Through that child, Abraham has blessed so many nations well beyond, well beyond the stars of the sky, well beyond uh, the, the stars in the heaven. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. We're not children of the flesh. A Jew today that calls himself a Jew just because they're ethnic Jew doesn't mean that they're Jew according to the Bible. It doesn't mean that they're children of promise according to the Bible. Verse 29, but as he, 
But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. So those who think that they're children according to the flesh will persecute those who are children according to the spirit. Even so it is now. Verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? What's the Bible say? What does God's word say? Not what you think, not your pastor, not your favorite seminary or YouTube video, and not your political affiliation. What does the Bible say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Get rid of the slavery and the slave thinking. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The people who are the children of promise in Christ will not be yoked with people that are children of slaves. If you, are, if you are in bondage to the old covenant, you are not a child of God. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, last one, and I'll move on to the, the current affairs. This is Jesus talking. This is John chapter, thir, uh, John chapter 8, 39 through 47. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye work, you seek to kill me, a man that had told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Listen to this very carefully. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, Jesus Christ. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And he, and he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Folks, modern Israel is not Israel of the Bible. People who call themselves Jews today do not use the definition of Jew that the Bible uses. They can call themselves Jews, but when we speak about what the Bible says, just because someone says that they're ethnic Jew doesn't mean that they are children of the promise as the Bible teaches. You either believe the Bible or you don't. And there will be people that say, well, what about the prophecies and what about the return of Israel? Remember, all prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. You have to put Jesus in the center of the prophecy and not Israel. You have to put Jesus there. Now, where does this matter? This matters because two very prominent conservatives in politics are talking about this. Candace Owens and Ben uh, Shapiro both work for the Daily Wire. Two days ago, Candace Owens writes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. She goes on to say some other beatitudes. Ben Shapiro, who is an Orthodox Jew and not a Christian, Candace, if you feel that taking money from the Daily Wire somehow comes between you and God, by all means quit. At that which point, Candace writes, you have been acting unprofessional and emotionally unhinged for weeks now. And we have all tried to sit back and allow it and have tried to exercise exceeding understanding for your raw emotion. But you cross a certain line when you come for scripture and read yourself into it. I will not tolerate it. 
Now this is just blowing stuff up, so I figured we'd slow down. I figured we'd slow down to understand this because the core issue is Christ. The core, I mean, like he is the dividing line. Now, couple things. Neither one of these people are perfect. I am not perfect. Let's remove that from the table. Let's absolutely remove that from the table because at this point, if we're going to start sharpshooting whose inefficiencies, uh, we all fall short and we're only supposed to look to Jesus, which is my point. So let's get beyond that and now start to look at the substance. Daily Wire is the business where both of these people are talking heads. They have an audience and they make money reading advertisings, reading advertisements while gaining a big audience. Speak about from yesterday, whenever a lot of people with big audiences, Dan Bongino, Tim uh, Poole, um, uh, you know, these other people, Steven Crowder, they get large audiences, but what do they do? Where's the redeeming value, my father would say. It must have redeeming value. And if you're just going to whir people up into a frenzy, there's not really any redeeming value there. There needs to be a direction to a solution. I will, Lord willing, always point back to Jesus. I advocate for Live Local. Uh, I point people to my uh, law teacher, Dave Jose, at Real Dave Cares for You on Twitter. Uh, there are things that I try to point people to for them to improve themselves, for them to study, for them to take action, for them to, uh, you know, engage the world. I believe that we're supposed to engage the world. So having said all that, Candace is a Christian, Ben Shapiro is a Jew. I don't doubt either one's faith. As a result of that, I see Candace Owens as a sister in Christ because she's believed the gospel, and I see Ben Shapiro as someone who needs the gospel, and because he doesn't have the gospel, if he were to die today, he'd go to hell forever. This is because he's a sinner like me, but my sin has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. This is the dividing issue. Ben Shapiro doesn't recognize Jesus Christ, which means because Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew, he's still looking for the Messiah. So then you look at the movement of Zionism, whereby a nation state was created and called Israel. Before it was called Israel, people wanted to call it Heretz, just land, the land. Now, the idea behind this, and there's all sorts of conspiracies, it's the Balfour Declaration, the Rothschilds, there's all sorts of people that look to Zionism. I haven't been one to investigate, well, I, I have investigated it. I'm not one that has brought Zionism to the forefront because I'm less interested about people creating a nation state and calling it Israel, thinking it's for the Jewish people, than I am about bending, thing, bending things back to the Bible and saying the Bible's true and everybody else is a liar. One of the challenges is that American Christians have been, I believe, influenced poorly by bad doctrine called dispensationalism, which is promulgated by the Schofield Reference Bible, which ultimately came from a guy named John Nesson Darby, who got his pre-tribulational rapture dispensationalist view from that of a 15-year-old Scottish girl that was making prophecies and saying that she was being visited by demons. So if you want to go back to the dispensationalist worldview, the dispensationalism uh, interpretive tool of the scripture, it will use a literary or a, a literal perspective of scripture and interprets it, interprets it literally. And so because it interprets scripture literally, there is no departure, there's no understanding that God can hide wisdom using words that people think they understand, but they mean multiple things. And so when the Bible says what things mean, you have to take it as meaning that thing. 
So if the Bible is going to say that a Jew is not one outwardly in the flesh, but it's one who's circumcised in the spirit, that's how God thinks. So if you call Ben Shapiro a Jew, you're not calling him a Jew according to the definition the Bible uses. That doesn't mean you can't call him a Jew, but you're using the word to mean something that is different from what the Bible means. Just plain, just like that's that's the plain reading of scripture and how it applies. The reason why this is important is that because Candace, who sees Jesus as Christ, Christ as king, she knows that Ben Shapiro is lost. But now she's in a position where all of this stuff going on in Israel, by the which way, you can't ask Ben Shapiro or anyone who supports the nation of Israel, how did these attacks happen? How did how did these you know radical Islamic jihadists, how were they allowed to get in the nation and kill all these people? That, that comes across as anti-Semitic. It comes across as Holocaust denying. It comes across as somehow not supporting Israel. I, I don't want Israel wiped off the face of the map. I, they, can, they can go do their own nation. I don't want American money there. I don't want American military there. I don't want American support there anymore for that nation, any more than for any other nation, because our nation's dying and we got issues here at home. I really don't like the fact that many and millions of Americans support Israel because they think they see it in the Bible. Which is why I started with the Bible to let the Bible speak. When we let the Bible speak, the issue is made clear. When you don't let the Bible speak, your emotions control everything, and that's what's going on right here. Ben Shapiro is a Jew who's looking for the Messiah. In Ben Shapiro's theology, the Messiah has to come to Jerusalem. And as the Messiah has to come to, to Jerusalem, that's when the Jews will, be, will have their Messiah and they'll have their military conquest. Well, that hasn't happened yet in his perspective, which means it has to happen. And because he believes that he has to, theologically motivated, to hold on to the nation of Israel as a part separate above and can't touch it from anything else. And any criticism of it is, is automatically concluded as an attack against Jews. Not Jews according to the biblical definition, but Jews according to the ethnic perspective or the political designation of the people's group. But you have to ask, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Rome, like Jesus prophesied it would be, Matthew 24, 34, all of those family records were gone. How does anyone who claims to be a Jew today prove blood descendant to Abraham? None of them can. Literally none of them can. I don't doubt that they are, many of them, but they can't prove it. And if they can't prove it, how would you prove that someone is of the line of Judah? All of those records were destroyed. Literally all of them. They don't exist. They put them in the temple because they didn't believe the temple would be destroyed. They believed that that was God's house. And when Jesus said, every stone will be taken apart, every stone was taken off of itself and all the records were destroyed. So this pride... In Judaism, this pride to reject Jesus led to a complete destruction of the Old Covenant. And when this happened, Christians now see, okay, this is the time that the church is supposed to be moving, and we're moving according to the New Covenant. This is the gospel. This is why we preach this. This is why this is important. Jews and everybody else who still think that the Old Covenant is still in operation think that there's going to be a third temple. Literally, you're going to build a third temple in Jerusalem. And because of this, there is theological justification to make sure that not only does this modern state of Israel exist, 
but it has to succeed because it has to accomplish those things. Now consider this. If you think that you have the correct interpretation of biblical prophecy and you have it in your mind of what it has to look like, wouldn't you be motivated to do things on earth to accomplish that? And if you thought that biblical Israel is modern Israel and you thought there has to be a third temple, then wouldn't you support politically the nation state of Israel in whatever conflict it's in? So that it can not only exist, but succeed because it hasn't yet done the things that are needed to make Jesus come back. And if you really investigate that, that's an idolatrous position because you're trying to make things happen so that Jesus triggers, so that you trigger Jesus to come back. When Jesus is literally telling his people in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, it ain't for you guys to know the times. No one knows the time or the day when Jesus comes back. So get to work. Go preach the gospel. Go love your neighbor. Go serve other people. Go read the Bible. Go live your life. Build generations. Build nations and bloodlines that glorify Christ. This is the divide between Candace and Ben Shapiro. And you can say about their personalities, you can say that they're trying to gain fame and they're trying to gain an audience. Of course, this is what they do. This is their profession. But you notice how now the things are spilling over into the profession. I'm not one that says that this is some master script where they're playing each other off. I'm also not denying the fact that they couldn't be shrewd enough. Like Candace could probably be so shrewd that she sees that the rising generations of Americans aren't just complete simps for Israel, which means that the rising generations are looking for commentary that aren't beholden to Jewish lobby. And so she could probably speak her faith more brazenly, knowing that Ben Shapiro would reject it and it would irk him uh, theologically to his heart and thereby create the firestorm, which would give her elevation for her departure from Daily Wire. I don't doubt that she could think like that. But I recognize... Put all that to the side. I recognize because Christ is king, that's why this is breaking. That's why this is happening. And I'll just I'll just show this is Ben Shapiro. Over the last month, whenever uh, whenever she says, whenever Candace says, um, whenever Candace says, you have been acting unprofessional and emotionally unhinged for weeks now. I'm going to show a video about this. She says he's been acting unprofessional and emotionally unhinged for weeks. And we have all had to sit back and allow it and have to try to exercise exceeding understanding for your raw emotion. See, this is so critical because this is a woman calling Ben Shapiro emotional. And Ben Shapiro's the guy that famously said, where's, uh, where's it? Ben, he famously said, facts don't care about your feelings. By the which way, he took this tweet down. He unpinned this tweet. This tweet was pinned to his Twitter profile for years. He now unpinned it and he's talking about hospitals in Gaza. So the, the, the mantra that this guy used, facts don't care about your feelings, that literally put Shapiro on the map. This, this was the conservative trope. And so the guy that says facts don't care about your feelings is also the guy who's doing this type of stuff right here. Watch this. So the real risk for Israel in not finishing off Hamas right now is that this is taken as a sign of weakness, as it certainly would be, by Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a far more dangerous terrorist group than Hamas. Hamas is a dangerous terrorist group. They just proved it by killing 1,300 Jews. Hezbollah currently has over 100,000 highly sophisticated rockets aimed directly at the north of Israel. Estimates suggest that were Hezbollah to fire all of those rockets, we wouldn't be talking about 1,300 dead Jews. You would be talking about somewhere between 20 and 30,000 dead Jews, day one. If Hezbollah gets in, 
Israel will have no choice but to unleash the Air Force. If they unleash the Air Force, they're not going to be worried at that point about civilian casualties at all. They're simply going to have to eviscerate the entire south of Lebanon and topple the regime in Lebanon that supports Hezbollah. If that happens, Iran undoubtedly gets in and so does Syria. If that happens and Israel is now faced with a with a full war in the north, combined with a war in the south, because they will not have defeated Hamas, that's the predicate. If Israel is forced to the wall, the possibility of nuclear exchange is extremely high. That is why it is very important that the United States provide the material aid to Israel. Israel kills enough of these sons of bitches that this is not a problem again. Whenever anyone suggests that Israel is willfully killing civilians, that is the most ignorant, bigoted, anti-Semitic bullshit ever said. There cannot be a ceasefire. Anyone who calls for a ceasefire is a terrorist sympathizer under these circumstances. Yeah, so he's... This is a guy who himself has never served in the military, so he's never seen it. He's not willing to put himself on the front lines, but you see how it just escalates. First of all, the 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 fighting in Gaza has lasted over a month, and more people in Palestine have died than what initially died in Israel. So if we're just counting body counts, how many dead Palestinians does Israel need in order to get like a moral sufficiency? What's What's the exchange rate? Now, that might be a barbaric question, but think about it. Like, think about it. One day, the perimeter was breached. The Israeli Defense Force didn't respond. The Israeli intelligence, which is the most sophisticated apparatus around the world, didn't know about it. And for seven hours in a state the size of New Jersey, no one was able to respond in an area where everyone in the country has two years mandatory military service and is armed. Doesn't make sense to me. But now, in response to that, it's been going on, the, the, the response to that has been going on for over a month, and more people have died in Gaza than died in Israel. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the, the body counts are disproportionately uh, dead Palestinians to dead Israelis. And so, the way that I look at this is I say that the majority of both of them, probably 99.9999%, none of those people know Jesus. Which means that it doesn't matter, in my view, it doesn't matter if a Jew dies or if a Muslim dies, they die without knowing Jesus, which means they're in hell forever. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know, if it's an old person, it doesn't matter if it's a soldier, uh, it doesn't matter these things. I also recognize from my own personal experience that most of the people that I killed in Afghanistan were people defending their homes. So how do you, how do you really understand the scope that Okay, the, the Muslim jihadists that deserve to go to hell and will go to hell because they deny the gospel, who entered uh, Israel and killed all those people, they should be killed. They should be killed. No doubt. Like, I, I condemn Hamas. No doubt. I hate Islam. I think it's freaking evil. I think, I think Islam uh, is more violent than, uh, than, than anything else. At the same time, a Muslim who didn't participate in the attack on Israel, but now sees Israel in Gaza, is going to defend his family, his wife, his kids, his, his national pride. You put someone in that position, he's now going to become an accidental um, you know, patriot and defend himself, at which point now the invading Israeli army can say, see, look at these guys, they're coming out and shooting us. Well, of course they are. They're defending their homes. This was the lesson I learned in Afghanistan. When I, when I realized we're killing teenagers and young men who are just trying to defeat the invading army, me. And that made me feel bad because we continue to do it because I'm not just going to let them kill me. 
And so you really have to understand the decisions of the people in charge to get people to go to war. But when Ben Shapiro says, you know, that's going to trigger the Air Force, the Air Force is going to trigger Hezbollah, that's going to trigger Libya, and that's going to trigger Egypt and all these other nations, he has, is painting a picture of inevitable escalation that brings what is just a really small localized conflict into a broad regional, ultimately world conquest or world scale where they have to use nukes. That's his thinking. His thinking is that if they don't get their way immediately, consequentially, completely in Gaza, nuclear war is that close away. That's how he thinks. And so for 13 dead, 1,300 dead Israelis, tragedy, horrible, vicious, wrong, they all should go to hell. He's thinking we got a nuclear total war is going to go there. This is the thinking of someone who is theologically motivated. He's theologically alimoing Jerusalem. And because in his view, in his, the, in his theology, Jerusalem is the Alamo. It has to be controlled by Jews for the Messiah to come to do all this stuff. Because that's where his theological anchor is. It's not Christ. Let's just point that out. It ain't Jesus. Because it's not Jesus, it's obviously not Jesus. And for the Christians who are Zionists and have this dispensationalist worldview where they politically support Israel because of the same interpretation, that's not a focus on Jesus. That's a focus on an interpretation of what you believe is in the future. And think about this. That has deep ramifications. Because if you support Israel politically just because you think that's where Jesus is going to come back and do stuff based on certain conditions that you think are going to happen, you're going to support what you think are the best courses of action to make those things happen in real time. And if you support those things, it means that you're not actually doing what the gospel says. You're trying to tinker with the world to make it fit what you think is expected so that Jesus comes back. When Jesus says, go preach the gospel, teach the nations to obey all my commands, love your neighbor as yourself, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He wants all the nations, folks. He doesn't just want Israel. He wants Israel, but he also wants Gaza. He also wants Iran. He also wants China. He wants South Africa. He wants them all. Christ wants them all. He is that zealous for his government, Isaiah 9 verse 7. So this is important because yesterday, Candace Owens went on Tucker Carlson and she responded. This is how Tucker Carlson uh, set her up to talk about Shapiro. And this is what she said about him. Um, but to call somebody, quote, absolutely disgraceful, particularly a coworker, seems like a pretty big step. What, and, and I really don't know the background here. What is that about? You know, there isn't much of a background. I saw the video when everybody else saw it when I woke up. Um, no one he, no one warned you about it? Nobody warned me about it. I, I, it looks like maybe he didn't know he was being recorded. It looks yes. like it was some sort of a private event. I got no clarity on the issue that he was particularly speaking on. And in what was said, I also, I can't respond to it beyond what he's saying because it's just ad hominem attacks. I don't know. Because yeah, it's not, you know, we disagree or yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think she's correct or maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, exactly. And so I can't respond to it on a level of intellect because there, there's nothing that he has expressed in that, at least in that short clip that he fundamentally disagrees with in terms of what I said. But I will say that I'm not going to respond with the same ad hominem attacks. Yes. I don't think it helps further discussion. And if I, that was me that was caught on a video saying that about colleagues that I work with, I would be embarrassed. I would. So I think that the video speaks more to Ben's character than it speaks to mine. Has he texted you to apologize or explain or anything? 
no, nothing. I haven't heard a single word. It just was sort of something that he said. And you know what? Ben and I have made disagreements, so I don't think that that's particularly something that's interesting. Um, we disagreed on the COVID vaccine. We disagree yes. on Ukraine and Russia. He has taken virtually every stance that has been the opposite of mine on every issue uh, over the last five years. So I don't think that that's particularly the COVID remarkable. Vaccine. Really, I didn't remember that. Yeah, he was pro the COVID vaccine. I was anti the vaccine. You know, we were all idiots for not getting the vaccine. So that's totally fine. I, I am totally open to people having a difference in opinion. Right. I would hope that amongst colleagues that it would always be civil disagreement and i would never in a private event stand on a table and talk badly about ben it's, I would a little say, weird. it's a little weird so he was on the left on those three biggest issues of our time is what you're saying he has converted his opinions he's accepted responsibility he said you know i was wrong about the vaccine oh, good, good, uh, he is you know obviously pro pharma his mom's a doctor and i say to people i'm very aware of my perspectives on big pharma and yes. i talk about it on my show openly and i think that that's a tremendous credit to the daily wire that they allow a difference of opinions but i would I, as i said hope that it would remain respectful yep. and that you wouldn't throw your colleagues um, under a bus, so to speak. I think, that, I think, that, I think that's fair. And just just for clarity, because I really don't know, did, is he your boss? Does he... I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, Ben's involvement. He's not he's not the CEO of the Daily Wire. He yes. is not making the day decisions of the Daily Wire. And I do want to make it very clear to people like, how could you possibly stay at Daily Wire after this? I have a very good relationship with the co-CEOs of the Daily Wire. I, you know, especially right now, the acting CEO is uh, Caleb Robinson. He's a wonderful person. He's worked very hard to be where he's at. We have a lot in common that we connect on. And so people don't get to see that, which is unfortunate. You know, Ben lives in Florida. He's not a part of the day-to-day -day movement of the Daily Wire. You know, the rest of uh, the hosts have their shows situated in Nashville. So we see each other every day. We talk. There's great camaraderie. Yes. And there's actually more agreement. There's actually a lot of people that are, as I describe myself, just pro-America first. And I think I've been that way consistently throughout my political career. Yeah, she uh, she makes consistent points. Um, and she I believe she does a decent job at making it professional. But I also think that that's a, a good presentation to kind of chip away at him and set him up as emotional. In other words, the master influential move here is to portray Ben Shapiro as emotional and as uh, unhinged in his connection and as he's communicating his beliefs. Where there's part of me that I recognize that everyone has emotion, everyone has bias. Uh, my bias towards Israel is not the same as Ben Shapiro's, so if stuff happens to Israel, I can live my life like it doesn't matter because I'm here and I don't, I don't think about Israel. Ben Shapiro has a different bias and so he's going to He's going to, you know, uh, hurt dogs bark. And so he, you know, I, I don't lament him for having the emotions and getting worked up about something he cares about. I'm just now trying to point out the core reason why he acts the way that he acts with the emotion he has about this issue. It comes down to Jesus. Now, this is where I want to come alongside Candace because I believe that she's a Christian. I don't deny her faith. And for people that say, well, where's her fruit? Well, I don't know her. I know that she's confessed publicly, which is could be something she could do to get audiences. It could be something I do to get audiences. Like you could you could have that level of thinking, but I want people to weigh the fruit. I want people to judge the fruit. And so the fruit here is that she's trying to stay professional. The fruit here is that she's saying, "Hey, you're you're unhinged." And ultimately, it came down to the fact that whenever she said, um, whenever she said. Uh, but you cross a certain line when you come for scripture and you read yourself into it. Now, I think what she was talking about at that point was the fact that Candace is speaking about Beatitudes, which comes from Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus Christ. Candace sees Christ as king, and so when the king is talking about his kingdom, Candace is responding to a Jew who's not in the kingdom about the kingdom, and Ben Shapiro got, uh, he got, he got triggered, he got pissed. He got mad because the way that he thinks is being repudiated by the way that she thinks. And this is because of Christ. It has nothing else to do. It's, it is for Christ. 
Now, so I'm obviously with Candice on this gener- on this fundamental uh, position. But this is where I, and I'm not in her position. I don't have the influence. I don't have the uh, the stress from having all the stuff. Like, I don't have the glitz and glossed stuff. I mean, look at this beard. Look at this beard. Um, the way that I would have done it is I would, I would have just struck at the heart. And I would just say, Ben, Christ is king. Repent and believe the gospel. Because that clarifies the issue. The issue is not Israel. The issue is not Jews. The issue is not Palestine. The issue is not uh, Muslims. The issue is the fact that we have a sinful world and the one and only Messiah has already come. He died on the cross, physically dead, physically risen from the grave. When you believe that, you now have a solution to sin. The sin of the jihadis who believe the garbage demonic uh, Islam who killed the Jews that are largely non-Christian, who they themselves are going to go to hell because they are sinners and they don't believe the gospel. So you got a bunch of sinners who don't believe the gospel killing a bunch of sinners who don't believe the gospel. And as a response, the sinners who don't believe the gospel are going to invade and kill more people who don't believe the gospel. So there's a bunch of sin going on. And so the issue is Jesus. Now, the reason why this is so important for American politics is that America, and you heard Ben say it, America has to support militarily, all this other kind of stuff. A political issue is generally going to track with the the majority of the way that people believe. Not always, but generally speaking, politicians are going to take the poll and see where the wind is going. And right now, there there is a fundamental fight. Will you say Christ is king and recognize Christ is way more important than modern Israel? Christ is way more important than any Jew. Christ is way more important than white people or black people or anything else. Will you say that? Will you bend the knee, confess with your tongue that Christ is king? Because if you do, you have to start with him. And everything's got to come to him. If you don't do that, or if you try to say, well, I'll say Christ is king, but Israel has a, has a role to play. Those two things are not the same. Those are not the same things. Christ is king and then everything else. When you say Israel still has a role to play, what you're doing is you're making that a co-equal with Christ. You're making it and you're, you're forcing Christ's perspective, recognizing that your interpretive tool of things to come has to play out in order for Christ to be king. No, no, he's king right now. This issue is so big that the biggest people are getting involved. Elon Musk narrowed his focus He says the ADL unjustly attacks the majority of the West, despite the majority of the West supporting the Jewish people and Israel. This is because they, the ADL, cannot, by their own tenets, criticize the minority groups who are their primary target. It is not right and it needs to stop. Now, Elon's perspective here, Elon is not a Christian. So Elon is also outside of Christ. And so this is uh, a a humanist perspective, a secular perspective. However, Elon's going to be positing himself. He's talking about the ADL, which is an entity. So now he's talking about the Anti-Defamation League, which is a Jewish advocacy group that's trying to bolster and advance Zionist principles, but also Jewish principles by attacking this notion of anti-Semitism. You recognize that this is only for Jews. There's no other group of people that has its own large advocacy group on the level of the ADL. 
You've got the NAACP that ad, uh, advocates for colored people, black people, but the ADL's influence is just massive. So much so that the richest man in the world, on the largest social media platform in the world, is going directly at them. The issue is Christ. Because the ADL started from the, the lynching of a guy, of a Jewish guy that was raping a little girl, and as a result of that, they're defending themselves. Okay, well, I don't want to attack Jewish people. I don't want to attack anti, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's saying that the unjust attacks, the ADL unjustly attacks the majority of the West. He's speaking about white people. Now, Elon Musk is from South Africa. South Africa is a is a place where uh, right now the blacks the black people in South Africa are just rampantly killing, oppressing, and persecuting the white people because the white people were doing it to the black people before the black people were doing it to the white people, so on and so forth. And so, that despite the majority of the West supporting the Jewish people and Israel, and this is important because you know the west which i will i will reframe and say this is western civilization was made by and influenced by christianity period period the west is synonymous with christian because this is where the christian message the christian religion took hold and really branched out and has influenced the world the reason why the West would be supportive of the Jewish people in Israel is because the West and Christians recognize the historical significance of Jews and the geographical territory of Israel. Like, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying the, the ethnicity. I'm not denying the fact that that was the specific location that God promised his people. Not denying that at all. Not at all. So there, there's a familiarity there, there's a, uh, a sympathy there, there's an empathy there. But then he goes on to say something interesting. He says, this is because they, the ADL, by, cannot, by their own tenets, now we need to identify what their tenets are. By their own tenets, they can't criticize minority groups. This is because the majority of the West is Christian. So if you are a minority group, you are, by definition, not the majority. If the majority is Christian, then minority groups would be characterized thusly as not Christian. So the ADL, according to Elon Musk, has central tenets that advocate for the elevation, the distribution, and the, um, the equilibrium of minority groups. Which is another way of saying that the ADL does not want the, major the West to be majority Christian. And you can see this through advocacy of mass migration. You can see this through, and we're about to get to it, the white supremacy ideas. You can get to these ideas where Christians have been made to sit on the sidelines, take away from, disengage from politics, and basically get out of the way. And self-hate. Self-hate. The self-hate is actually one of the most important reasons why this, uh, this cancer this anti-Christian cancer has become so effective. This is a video, a leaked audio of Jonathan Greenblatt, who was recorded saying something very crucial about how he interprets, how the ADL interprets the rising generation's perspective on Jews. Listen to this. Israel is not left and right. It is young and old. 
numbers of young people who think that Hamas's, you know, massacre was justified is shockingly and terrifyingly high. And so we really have a TikTok problem, a Gen Z problem, that our community needs to put the same brains that gave us Tagli, the same brains that gave us all these other amazing innovations, need to put our energy toward this, like, fast. Because, again, like, we've been chasing this left-right divide. It's the wrong game. The real game is the next generation. And the Hamas and their accomplices, the, idi the useful idiots in the West, are falling in line in ways that are terrifying. Last thing I'll just say, we saw a dramatic change in the language of the activists here in America on October the 8th. The language of groups that we've long tracked have long been problematic, like Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voices for Peace. They flipped like this and went to like Iranian propaganda. The language I could show you from their toolkits, because our analysts are in their groups. We saw this again on October the 8th. It was that fast. Like the language in their toolkits was all about the Zionist entity and lots of other language that we recognized from Iranian propaganda. Now, uh, what I want to do, and I've, I've said this frequently, everyone has a bias. The things that you let in through your eyes and in through your ears for the key terrain, which is your mind, for the prize of the soul, will shape how you behave. What you believe is how you behave. And so this guy, Jonathan Greenblatt, a Jew, doesn't believe the gospel. He leads the ADL. He has tacitly admitted to playing a right-left game, calls useful idiots of the West, which is a communist phrase for people that just kind of go along with whatever they're told. So this is a guy who speaks about messaging as toolkits. A tool is an instrument to complete a job. So if he, if he has words in his mind to package the concept of propaganda, moving people, identifying who would just go with stuff, if this is this man's world, he's speaking about his competitors beating him. He's complaining. He's, he's acknowledging he's getting beat. That's what this is. This is a man who deals with influencing attitudes, persuading people to think certain ways, and he's acknowledging that he's getting beat. And he tells you where his pain point is, and that's the young. He then goes on to talk about the people in Pal the the students for justice in Palestine and the Jews for peace. Why not hit the gospel? Why not point out the fact that the, the people in Palestine, if they're Muslims, they need to repent and believe the gospel. This guy, Jonathan Greenblatt, the dude's a sinner. Gonna go to hell because he doesn't believe the gospel. That guy needs Jesus. This is what Christians should be doing. Christians don't need to be thinking about the schematics or the mechanics of propaganda or messages or stuff like that. We need to be faithful to the text. And to say, this is what the Bible teaches. This is how to raise a family. Here's how to destroy your uh, addiction to porn. Here's how to love your wife and build your family and think for generations. Here's how to le learn the fundamental law so that oppressive, tyrannical governments don't come against me. But the reality of what this man is acknowledging is not only is he involved in propaganda, not only, not only is he getting beat, but I argue the tools of his weaponization, the useful idiots, the minority groups... 
they're now no longer controlled by him. The mass migration that has been permitted in this nation and European nations for decades, it's gotten to the point where that these anti-Western, read anti-Christian people, have gotten what they wanted, which was a minority Christian population. And now that Christians are the minority population, you have a plurality of a bunch of people who hate Jesus. So now you got the, the majority is now anti-Christian. What do you think is going to happen whenever they recognize the people that are puppeteering, the people with the influence, the people that are actually used to manipulating people, that speak about toolkits of manipulation? They're going to come after you. They're going to come after these people. Because they'll recognize they're the ones with power. They're the ones that have been manipulating us. We're going to go for you. And that's exactly what's happening. This man is getting the chickens coming home to roost. And he don't like it. I also want to point out this video. This is a guy. Uh, identify. See if you can identify the idea that this guy. The idea behind this guy's idea. This guy is speaking about. Uh, he's making a pro-Israel argument. And he's, well, just, just see if you can identify the idea that he's identifying. And we'll end on this. Go ahead. Anybody that today supports Palestine is an absolute ignorant person. And I'll tell you why. You could scream all you want, free Palestine, help Palestine, and say all you want all around the world. But I don't see any of you guys out there taking a flight and going to Palestine, to Gaza, to stand with Hamas on the front line and fighting for Palestine. So everything you're doing is just because you want to make noise and you like hate and you like to see people die, just like in the Colosseum in Rome years ago, right? So people could watch other people being killed and they would cheer for it. People are evil and we're trying to make this world a better place. But none of them actually go to Palestine to fight. I want to see you go fight. On the other hand, Israelis, 300,000 of them, vacation or not vacation, boom, they flew to Israel and started fighting. On the front line, people with three kids, four kids, two kids, fathers, they went to fight. What are you guys doing? Cheering on online? Oh, free Palestine. Like that's going to last. The idea behind his argument is that Jews, Israelis, identify as Jews. That's the common thread. That if Palestinians or people saying free Palestine here in the West, they won't put themselves on, on a plane to go fight, right? And so he's basically saying you're cowards, you don't really identify with that. But the Jews who do go to Israel, they identify as Jews. A couple things. I wouldn't want to go if 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 I was a free Palestine guy, and I'm not because I don't give a crap about Palestine. But if if I was a free Palestine guy, I wouldn't want to go to Palestine to fight against Israel, which is backed by America. If America sends two strike carrier groups and underwrites them and funnels them money and uh, ammo and all sorts of stuff, basically unlimited arsenal, go get them. I don't want to fight that. You kidding me? You basically just said, I'm going to go fight the guy that just got the grant of power and the backing of the strongest army in the history of the world. So now let's, let's investigate that. Be so, so it's no longer Israel that you're fighting. You're now fighting the extension of a fatigued, overextended, um, you know, uh, dilapidated uh, American military. The American military is a hodgepodge. It's full of a bunch of people who are serving for what? To serve America. And America, which comes from Christian ideas based on biblical ideas through common law and public trust and those types of things, 
doesn't say that you have to be Christian. You should, because you want to go to heaven. But America's service was never about, hey, you have to believe the gospel. It was just understood and implied that you would. And now that America's falling apart, it's because the grace that was given in a Christian civilization by not requiring people to be a Jew, by not requiring people to be the main belief system, that's what's been exploited. And the way that it's been exploited by Satan and by people who are lustful and have interpretive tools that read the Bible with Israel first instead of Jesus is that the divisions that show God's distinctiveness and God's creativity are being used to destroy from within. America is not being destroyed from enemies coming outside in. America is being destroyed from the inside because we've taken our eyes off God, our Preachers in the pulpits don't preach a, a, a gospel. The seminaries are preaching an Israel first eschatology, so that the, the all of the Christians or many of Amer uh, Christians in America are looking to Israel, saying, "Let's give them a bunch of stuff so that they can have all their stuff, but we don't take care of ourselves." The American church has 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 tolerated baby butchering for six decades. How do you do that? The American church, and I'm part of it. The American church would go on foreign expeditions, military adventurism, and kill men and women defending their homes in foreign combat zones to personally enrich military industrial complex, but we'd say it under the banner of democracy. We ain't even a freaking democracy. We would say we want to give them freedom while we're bombing the crap out of them. Like we have become, in, you know, we, have, we are now no longer able to do a self-analysis. And I believe it's because we don't read the Bible the way the Bible teaches. If the Bible says a Jew is not one outwardly, but one circumcised in the flesh, that's what a Jew is. So when you say a Jew is some person in modern day Israel, you ain't using a Bible definition. Which means that you're using a worldly definition to a word the Bible says this is what this word means. Imagine how different the world would be if Christians dedicated the Bible. Anytime someone else says Jew, they go, what, you mean Romans 2.29, one that's circumcised by the, by, the, by the heart? Circumcising the heart by the spirit and not that outwardly of flesh? People would be like, whoa, no, we're a Jew over here. And then the Christian would be able to say, yeah, Jerusalem was destroyed. Christ is king. Let's look to him because the gospel is the only way to go to heaven. This is a political commentary that would cut through everything. It would cut through everything because there's no standing against it. There's literally no standing against Jesus Christ. And if people had that discipline, if they had that dedication, if they had that disciplined focus to devote, you will say Jesus. You will point to Jesus. Every issue is simplified. Every issue is clarified. But instead, we give our ways and our, our thinking to white supremacy. We give our ways to our skin color. We give our ways to our gender. We give our ways to the right and the left, the Democrats, the Republicans. We give our thinking to not Christ. We let it run rampant. And because we let it run rampant, we have a nation that sucks. Play one last video. Play one last video. Two last videos. This is Candace talking about how America has lost her identity. We don't have identity. We've completely lost what it means to be an American. It is why I, I feel very inspired uh, when I hear someone like Vivek Ramaswamy speak and talk about American yes. principles. I hate the way that they you know, they illustrate their opinions about people that 
want that old America, that are nostalgic about that America. When someone says, and I've, I've heard of this statement, and I can't remember who said it, but you can't be pro-American unless you're pro-Israel. I just thought of the person who's probably in West Virginia who had both his legs blown off, right, fighting overseas, who is pro-American, and you're telling him, like, no, 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 unless you agree that every single war should be everywhere, you're not, you're not pro-American. We've lost our identity. I mean, that's completely a foolish thing to say. And I say this as somebody who, if I was going to be radical anything, I'm probably radically pro-UK, right? I married, yeah. I married a Brit. My children um, have dual citizenship. I would never utter the sentence that no. to be pro-America means to be pro-British. I love oh, the Brits. I love boy. everything about, you know, I, I love being in the United Kingdom. But I know what it means to be pro-American. It means to be pro-American. I couldn't, as someone who's ancestors from the UK, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I also have ancestors from the UK. I am definitely Northwest European, um, definitely British, British. But what is it to be an American? America didn't come from a hodgepodge people groups. The common law comes from the Anglo-Saxons, which were really the Puritans, which had a demand of it is written from the Bible and they wanted to do what the Bible said. And they gave and they created a nation based on what the Bible says. Sin was involved. People aren't perfect. We, we, we Remember when we identified that and kind of pushed that to the back? Because to criticize my sin, to undermine the ideas, doesn't identify and engage the ideas. It uses Jaren as the excuse that you won't listen to what I'm saying, which I'm not a good person. I'm a horrible person. So if you're going to say Jaren's stupid or whatever as the barrier for you listening to what I say, then you're not actually wanting to engage what I say. You're wanting just to condemn Jaren, which, okay, sometimes I'll join you. <laughs> so, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, if you want to condemn Jaren, just take a seat and watch me work. Like, let me say what I'm, what I'm bad at. But it's this idea that Tucker and Candace saying stuff that I politically agree with, but they still won't point to Jesus. They still won't say to be an American is to come from a nation that put its faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Christian. I'm not going to put a gun to your head and force you to be a Christian. I'm not even going to deprive your participation in society if you're not a Christian. That's how self-assured, that's how secure, and that's how confident Christians were in the wisdom of Jesus Christ to make a nation based on the Bible and not have to put a gun to people's heads and compel their participation according to the Bible because they knew the Bible was that good. They knew God was that good. They know the wisdom is that good. Next clip. This one is Tucker going after this white identity attack. I think this one is, is a good idea. Again, I politically agree. But notice, notice, talking about distinct people groups. The organizing principle, the, organi the, the organizing principle of his criticism is people groups. People groups. Watch this. However, then I thought, well, wait a second. If the biggest donors at, say, Harvard have decided, well, we're going to shut it down now. Where were you the last 10 years when they were going for white genocide? You were allowing this. And then I found myself really hating those people, actually. that You're okay with that? On what grounds were you okay with that? And I, this is what I've been trying to explain to the pro-Israel lobby, that what you are seeing is a lack of support, is people that are asking the question is, where were you yeah. <laughs> as we have endured all of you this? You were paying for it, actually. Right. You were paying for it. You were, you were paying for it. Because you were, were calling okay my children immoral for their skin color. You paid for that. Yeah, and and so why it. shouldn't I be mad at you? I don't understand. And so that is, you know, obviously you have a, a ton of white people that are asking this question and they're now being called anti-Semitic. 
And I think that that's wrong. I think these are meaningful questions that deserve to be answered. Why was this uh, this sort of verbiage allowed into the curriculum? I mean, could you imagine if in the curriculum it said that every every Jewish person born is a terrorist? Yeah, the education in the in the law. This is where we we'll go back to the fundamental law, and I'd go to my brother, who is who's a black guy, by the way, Dave Jose at Real Dave Cares for You on Telegram and Twitter. Um, the fundamental law says the the Christian religion is part of the common law, which is true. It's a maxim. Education, using the, using the historical analysis method, meant what it means when the Constitution was ratified. So if entities or universities are going to be teaching this garbage and they're receiving federal grant, they're receiving federal money, then they can't derogate against the common law. They can't teach stuff that goes against Christianity because the Christian religion is part of the common law. The duty of government is to uphold the law of God. But Christians haven't been taught that, and Christians don't believe that. You can get your maxims, commonlawpeople.com, into your email. You get the, the maxims, you get John Locke, you get all sorts of stuff, and you get to see a couple sem seminars or a couple videos about how the common law began. When we have a devotion to what God says, it will clarify things. The, the hard part is having the discipline to do it. We have so much, many things drawing at and tugging on our emotions that we don't have the discipline to put God first. That's what I tried to do at the very beginning here, besides having my microphone off. Besides having my microphone off, I started with the Bible. Now, there will be people that will say, well, what hermeneutic are you using? That's bad exegesis. Understand hermeneutic comes from Her Hermes, a Greek messenger god from the underworld. You want to use the notion of hermeneutic to interpret the scripture coming from the idea that it's a Greek God that brings messages? See, it's the whole notion that you can interpret scripture is itself wrong. Scripture is what scripture says. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit teaches you what scripture says. So when you say, well, what's your hermeneutic? What you're acknowledging is the fact that God's word can be not clear and you have the choice to pick from the interpretive tools to use. This is one of the reasons why I, I don't agree and I don't like dispensationalism. It's an interpretive tool. It's literally a man-made tool overlaid on top of the Bible that people use in order to make sense of the Bible. When the Bible says that the Holy Spirit teaches you, well, Jaron, people are still not going to understand all the same thing, right? That's why we meet together. We reason together. We search the scriptures as noble Bereans. When we hear something, then we're like, eh, I don't know about that. Well, go search the Bible. Go read the Bible. Go wrestle with, with, uh, with the understanding. Chew on it for a little bit. It might not be like a YouTube search where you want to watch a video and you type something in and it's right there. You might have to actually study the word and might not understand a verse for a very long time. And in my, in my opinion, I believe that's because there's some un- identified bias that you're using that's blocking God from telling you. And that's because you haven't, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm in this boat too. There's verses that I have a ch uh, challenge understanding and there's verses that I've had my understanding change on my interpretation. But whenever you come to God and say, I want to understand this, please clear my mind, destroy my bias, my beliefs, my philosophies, destroy everything. I want to know what you meant by this you will start to see where the beliefs that you're bringing, you'll identify them, and then you'll come up to the position, do you kill it or not? 
Do you kill, do you kill this belief that your daddy taught you? That your pastor preaches? That the one guy on YouTube that brought you to the Lord, he taught on a sermon series about Revelation? Like, you know, hey, this guy brought me to the Lord, but then he's also teaching these things. So that because he brought me to the Lord, there's an emotional bond there. No, that's just God using that guy as a tool to preach the gospel, to bring you to him. Now that you're with Christ, you follow Christ. You don't follow that dude that told you about Jesus, that got you to Jesus. And I'll just be clear, like if, if I've had any kind of spiritual impact on you, if, if I, by God's grace, have helped you come to the Lord, don't see me as any kind of authority. I'm just a dude trying to read the Bible, trying to make sense of the world through the lens of the Bible. Don't give me any grant, don't give me any theological uh, authority for what the scripture means. Do not believe me. Read the Bible, let the Bible tell you what to believe. This is a discipline that shaped this nation because there were people that had that discipline and put it into action. I think we got to do the same thing. And I think this Candace Owens Ben Shapiro spat is demonstrating that there are multiple different views of situations for sure. There's been one view, the Jewish lobby, the Jewish power view that has absolutely controlled people. I got death threats. My businesses were destroyed because of the Jewish lobby. Called an anti-Semite. Why, how, why did I not, <laughs> how did that event not happen now? You realize that if I would have been running then, now, no one would have cared because of all this stuff going on? Wouldn't have cared. But I look at that, I'm like, well, God obviously shut the door and he doesn't want me to be there. So I see God's providence instead of just, well, you know, feel bad for myself. And in God's providence and his glory, I was able to feel the pain while this was still painful. Because now the word anti-Semite isn't going to mean anything. It's not going to mean anything. It's going to go the way of racism. It's going to go the way of homophobe. It's going to go the way of all of these moralistic preening spats and censorship techniques because that's a feminism, that's a, that's a uh, satanic, demonic way of controlling people by morally uh, imposing yourself on them, using words to shut down speech so that you can't hear what they say. Whereas the Christians would say, say what you say, from the wellspring of the heart, the mouth speaks. It doesn't mean I have to listen to you. It doesn't mean I have to let you on my channels. You have the freedom to say what you want to say. Go, go be a moron. Go say what you want to say. But it's this idea that says, if you say certain things, here's your label, now we'll attack you for it. Hope that makes sense. I wanna end on a good note because I wanna end on a good note. This is what I'm just gonna call digital dad. Dads, heads up. Fathers, build your nations, build your bloodlines, lead courageously. Watch this.
Uh, and then this one. This one just... <sighs> surprise, surprise. Love is the greatest power. Love is the greatest power. We have a lot of hate. The hate is being the hate is using God's order, the obviousness of God's order, skin color, gender, height, weight, age. Using the obviousness of our differences to divide. And when hate is imbued into God's order, look at how crazy it is. Look at how much stuff sucks. Look at how much how painful it is. But yet right there, I, I don't know their faith. I don't know their background. I don't know their ideas. A couple of 58 years separated for four months for medical reasons, reunited. And it's just, it's just joy. It's just joy. I was thinking yesterday, I was, I was crying yesterday, thinking about seeing my dad again. When I get to heaven, I will see my father again. I wonder if I'm in heaven and I'm with Jesus, am I really going to want to hang out with my dad? <laughs> am, I, am I really going to want to hang out with him? Um, I think about that a lot. Like I think about if I'm in God's presence, would I really want to like take time out to, hold on God, I know we're here for you and worshiping you, but like, can I talk to my dad for a little bit? Like it's like that. I think about that. I think about that. But I was thinking more about the idea that I am guaranteed to see my father. I'm guaranteed to see my father. I'm guaranteed to see my father because my dad is in heaven because he believed the gospel. I believe the gospel. When you believe the gospel, Jesus, who, who makes his promise, will keep it. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and three days later he rose from the grave. Because he lived a sinless, perfect life, when he took the cross, he took God's wrath for sin. Being buried proves that sin died with him because he was dead. When he physically rose from the grave, it proves that he's the king. It proves that he has life over death. It proves that what he was teaching was true. We know what he was teaching because it's in the Bible. So we read the Bible to get to know Jesus. And when the Bible tells us to do something, we do it. We repent of our sin. We confess that sin. We tell people, I used to watch porn. I killed people. I think I'm better than other people. Like we confess our pride. We confess our addictions. We confess those things. Because those sins are burdens. And you confessing them is Christ getting victory over that. You're telling other people what Jesus conquered. Which the rest of the world, who will also struggle with the same sins, will be like, wow, that guy can say stuff and he's not weirded out. He's not like a social pariah. I don't care if I'm a social pariah. I want Christ to get the glory for conquering my sin. Amen. I want to speak what he has conquered so that my voice, the, the sound from my voice, can dominate and invade people's ears and compete with the ideas that are in their head so that it pricks and goes to their heart. I want other people to know that Jaron is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and he believes the gospel and he's going to go to heaven because Christ said so because that's what the Bible says. 
And when they, let's say they call me stupid, they put a bullet in my head, I get stage four cancer, I get ran over by a bus, I get blown up by a bomb, head cut off, whatever it is, whatever happens to me, doesn't matter. Because I'm here for the king. I'm here for him. He got me. I'm on his team. I'm with him. And now whatever he wants me to do, roger that, let's go. But we have to think about the fact that God's wisdom ain't stupid. People might think it's stupid, but it's not. When Jesus took that sin and he rose from the grave, he says, go teach them. Go preach that gospel. Go teach them. When you confess your sins, that's a battle cry. That's a victory chant. That is you saying, this is what Jesus conquered. This is what he killed. And there will be other people burdened by the same things going, I want that. Mm, I want that. I don't want to have to watch porn. I don't want to have to always hate my neighbor. Of course, they might not ever say it like that. But they might see your joy and be like, how does this dude make it make sense? The world is burning. How does that guy have joy? The world doesn't make sense. How is that guy not worried about tomorrow? It won't make sense. And the more that you preach, the more that you do things, the more that you live your faith, the more that the people who believe it will find you, first of all, they will find you. You will be encouraged in your faith. You will be able to learn from people that have been walking uh, longer or have a different perspective or have wisdom that God just gave them because they asked for it. And you can learn from them and check it with the scriptures always. Always check it with the scriptures. And as this is happening, God works and he moves. And he, he allows the pride to get for themselves their, their power and their money. And they get all this stuff and he lays it up for his people. And then his people will come and just, and it, it all falls. And when that happens, his people will rejoice. His people will give him credit. His people will uh, enjoy the wealth of the wicked that was laid up for them by the wicked. So it's gained through wickedness and it's all done that. And all of a sudden, here comes the Christians. Here comes God. Boom. There you go. I believe we are in that such time. I believe we are in a time where there is so much wickedness, so much deception, so much evil. Looking to the Bible is the only thing that makes sense. Looking to the cross is the only thing that makes sense. But if you don't believe the gospel, you're going to go to hell because you're a sinner. And I don't want that. I don't want that for anybody. I don't want that for Jews. I don't want it for Muslims. I don't want it for atheists or Hindus or Buddhists or atheists or uh, Nordics, people that believe in like Thor and stuff. Druids. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what are they called? Voodoo people? I don't want that for none of those people because hell sucks. It's going to be bad. I want them to go to heaven. Believe the gospel, my friends. Folks, if what I do enlightens, encourages, inspires, informs, or just entertains, would you please consider supporting and going to patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. This is an opportunity to take your money that you're already shopping and switch it over to an American manufacturing company. Click the link below, the Zoom link for Thursday meeting, which is tonight at, at 7 p.m. Central. My wife will be right here, and we'll be doing this uh, uh, Zoom. That's the link in the description below. Uh, or you can sign up at patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. Someone will be in touch, and we'll, we'll lay out how you can do this. It's a private membership association, which is kind of like Sam's Club, but it's not godless commie like Sam's Club. Cancel anytime, no hassle, no cost for cancellation. If it's not for you, amen. God bless. Thank you for at least trying. PatriotSwitch.com slash Jaren. Also, if you're like me and you drink coffee, you want good coffee. 
The best coffee is air roasted coffee. Ninety nine percent of drum, ninety nine percent of coffee roasters drum roast their coffee. They put the bean in a metal bucket. They turn the bucket over a flame, and there's all sorts of stupid stuff. Then they burn it into oblivion, which is what my eight year old would say. Then you got to load it up with sugars and additives and preservatives, and it just tastes like garbage. That's 99% of coffees. Air roasted coffee, like Humble Whole Bean Coffee at HumbleWB.Coffee. HumbleWB.Coffee is air roasted. It's delicious. It's organic. There's no additives. There's no preservatives. There's no flavorings. It's exactly as God intended it. Perfectly roasted on a cushion of air. Never touches a hot metal surface. It's delicious. Delivered right to your door. HumbleWB.Coffee. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, I am Jaron Jackson. I do love America. Don't quit. Go to war.